So we have heard a lot from Donald Trump's lawyers the past 48 hours floating what appear to be possible legal strategies. And one of them is that the things that Trump allegedly said to overturn the election were not commands so much as aspirations. You're saying that asking is action. No, asking is aspirational. Asking is not action. It's core free speech. What President Trump did not do is direct Vice President Pence to do anything. He asked him in an aspirational way. Asking is covered by the First Amendment. With us now is Shan Wu, defense attorney and former federal prosecutor, also former U.S. Attorney Michael Moore. And Shan, aspirational. Hey, Mike Pence, can you overturn the election? It's a little like Henry II, you know, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? I mean, is that a sustainable legal defense? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, it might have some jury nullification issues if they manage to get it in front. I, I did do a poem about the First Amendment issue, uh, which is, it's like the bank robber who goes into the bank, hands over a note that says, roses are red, violets are blue, give me the money or it's curtains for you. He gets arrested and then says, hey, is writing poetry illegal now? That's the same thing with the ask. <laughs> I'm asking you to give me the money. I'm asking you to do these illegal issues. Uh, the aspirational defense uh, just is not going to fly. Michael? Well, I'm glad to be with you and with the new poet laureate uh, here this morning uh, as we think about it. I, I think it's the First Amendment challenge is a, is a strong claim. Uh, and I think it's a good way for an appellate court to look at this and to basically deal with the case without necessarily getting all the substantive and the dirty merits of the case uh, later on. So, I mean, I, I have no doubt they'll raise a First Amendment claim, claim they're doing that. You know, a lot of what they have is going to be couched in the terms of political speech as much as aspirational mm -hmm. comments. And so, you know, the question of how those things intertwine and what that meant uh, as the speech was given, you know, on the ellipse that day, um, and certainly in some telephone calls, um, those, those uh, questions will be, I think, matters that will go well beyond any type of trial and move forward to an appellate court if if they get a conviction and maybe in some pretrial uh, motions and appeals as well. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that the First Amendment is one area that they think is fertile to mind. I do think there's a legitimate question of whether the mere aspirational aspect of it makes it protected First Amendment versus some other aspect, for instance, the political free speech. But I suppose that is something that an appellate court might ultimately get to hear, Michael. Yes? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do think they could be different, but at the same time, uh, let's say that a candidate stands on the stump and says, uh, we've got to fight against these terrible laws being passed by the General Assembly. I want you all to please go show your strength. It's political speech, and it's aspirational at the same time. And so the question will be whether or not the request, and was it actually a request made by a president to a vice president? Was it a discussion? Was it a request made uh, following legal advice or legal suggestion? Maybe it's been the lousiest legal advice in the world that he was getting, but that's going to be a question I think that'll be presented. So of all of these things, I think mm -hmm. are being trotted out both to be tried a little bit to see how they, they focus group in the world of public opinion. Uh, and they'll decide, the defense team will decide what they're going to put forward uh, in a trial. And Shan, what's interesting about this is it gets to the conversation or conversations that Donald Trump had with Mike Pence. I mean, Mike Pence ultimately will sit in a witness stand and be asked something along the lines of, what did you think when you were being asked slash told to, to overturn the results of the election here? Now, John Laura, who sat we played just before there, also said this weekend that he thinks Mike Pence will be a great witness 
for Donald Trump. What's your assessment there? Well, I don't think he'll be a great witness in the sense that he's going to be giving evidence that exonerates uh, Trump. I think he'll tend to be a pretty factual uh, witness. He'll be very very uh, accurate in terms of his delivery of his testimony. He, he does have some vulnerabilities on cross. I'm surprised Laurel didn't bring this up. I think he's trying to spin things politically right now. You could certainly cross uh, Pence if he starts sounding negative towards Trump by saying that he has a bias. I mean, he's trying to run against Trump. He has bad feelings towards him about what happened on the 6th. So there is some good fodder for cross-examining Pence, but generally from what we already know, um, about what he has said about his experience. Uh, it's hard to imagine that they really think it's going to be particularly positive uh, for Trump. Good or bad witness for the prosecution? Mike Pence. What do you think, Michael Moore? Uh, I think for the prosecution, if, Trump, if uh, Pence will uh, get some uh, backbone, he could be a good witness. But he's been so wishy-washy, he's just like trying to hold an eel. You know, um, he, 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 did, he challenged whether or not he should testify before. He balked. A subpoena. He's done all of these things. Didn't appear before the January 6th committee. He's trying to walk that balance of keeping voters on his side and telling the truth. And until he decides that telling the whole truth uh, is something, then I think the defense will be able to use uh, his refusals and his claims uh, that he's made in the past about private conversations and this type of thing and, and how he's downplayed that. I think, uh, you know, they'll be able to use that against him in cross. Michael, you're in Georgia. Let me ask you a little bit about the Georgia case because I'm struck by the fact that they you know, they're doing things like closing the streets by the courthouse, putting out barriers, and they're doing it for like days at a time. I mean, how many days can you do this before you have to issue or, or before they will issue an indictment, do you think? Well, I, I had all along thought that this was the wrong way to go about it. I thought that there should be a very clean cut case and really that, you know, come one Tuesday morning, the DA should have stood in front of a camera and said we the, the grand jury's issued an indictment. But this lead up to it, this sort of drip drip and tease tease about what may be coming I think is not good uh, just like the letter that was published I think that should have been done privately talking to the sheriff the security people and the chief judge you don't have to write it in a letter that can be leaked out uh, it almost presumes that the grand jury is going to issue an indictment and, and that's not what our system is about I mean we all can talk about whether or not a prosecutor can always get an indictment but certainly in a case like this you want to at least have the appearance that there's been some impartiality and consideration of the evidence as opposed to just a presumption that there would be an indictment and we need to close down the city. So I don't know that it's going to go on uh, much longer. I expect that we'll see an indictment this week. There is a hearing on August the 10th that a senior judge set up to sort of deal with the same issues that we saw last week in the McBurney order. Uh, that's specifically dealing with whether or not the DA has some conflict, whether or not they could use the a special presentment grand jury and whether or not Judge McBurney should be presiding over the case. The, the, both parties were ordered to brief that, and there is a hearing scheduled. So I've always thought the indictment is likely to come after that hearing so that it uh, doesn't uh, muddy the waters anymore. But I agree with you. This is not, in my opinion, at least been the best way to move forward. Michael Moore, Shan, Shakespeare Wu, uh, thank you both for being with us this morning. Can you talk about that term aspirational, and is that a legal thing? No, it's not. I mean, in any, I mean, let's, let's take this to the employment law context, right? When your boss asks you to do something, and that's coming from your boss, that's more than an ask. It carries the, uh, it carries the significance, it can carry the significance of coercion and influence, right? We know this from, from decades and decades of employment law. This is like the most obvious employment 
situation. Your boss is the and leader of the country. You're choosing employment because Donald Trump was Mike Pence's boss. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not an ask is not just an ask at law. If it comes from someone who has power and authority over you, that's uniformly recognized as a different thing. But put that aside. What Donald Trump has been accused of doing is conspiring to defraud the government conspiring to obstruct an official proceeding. So he's not being charged because specifically he asked, they had this one conversation. Those conversations are evidence of the agreement and the effort that he put in with his co-conspirators, allegedly, to defraud the government uh, and to obstruct an official proceeding and to deny approximately 80 million Americans their right to have their votes counted. And yet it is a window into the defense that we are likely to see during this trial. Another window into that, John Laurel did all the rounds. He did every Sunday show yesterday. Uh, this is another thing that he said with regard to violating the Constitution. He never said, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. A, a, a technical violation of the Constitution is not a violation of criminal law. That's just plain wrong. And to say that is contrary to decades of legal statutes. Let's a technical violation of the Constitution, I'm not sure exactly what he is referring to there, but what they lay out in the indictment uh, is this, this alleged conspiracy Right, to completely undermine the democratic process. It's not a technical violation of the Constitution. It's a pressure campaign both on states, on his own vice president, on his own Justice Department. This is not a quote-unquote technical violation of the Constitution. So I'm not sure that's going to be John Laura's strongest defense. Yeah, I think what they're getting at, uh, sort of reading between the lines, is that the Constitution doesn't set a lot of rules. It sort of sets out broad principles and says, well, we have the electoral uh, system where states will each have votes on presidents, but it doesn't lay out the mechanics of things will happen on December 14th and June 6th and so on. I think he's saying that because the president was tinkering with that, none of that's expressly prohibited by the Constitution, so it's just a technical it, to Paul's point, it's, it's just a little confusing where they're going with it, but... And, and those counts aren't counts of violating the Constitution. They are counts of, mm. uh, of violating U.S. federal criminal laws, 18 U.S.C. Uh, 371. I mean, there's... He's conflating the two to try to That's say, look, it was, a, uh, it was a, a trivial argument about dates, about just postponing the count from this day to that day. Well, it's not trivial. But that's not actually what he's been charged with. He's been charged with violating you the know, law. Both this and the aspirational thing, it, you know, what, at the heart of their defense is going to be, we were bouncing ideas around, we were just testing things out, and yeah. this was where we landed.